Would you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Our text this morning will be verses 1 through 2. How do we understand faith? How do we understand living by faith? What is faith? What is faithful living? And is there a difference between the two of faith and faithful living? As we come to chapter 11, the the Hall of Faith, this most important chapter of Hebrews, we learn about the nature of faith, and we we learn by way of example how we are to live a, a life of faith based upon what faith is and how it functions in the life of the believer. In fact, as we answer those questions that were initially asked of what is faith, how do we understand faith, and what is a living faith, is there a difference between those things? We actually see that that is how we interpret the entirety of Hebrews chapter 11, is by answering those questions. And specifically, this comes, this whole entire chapter comes as an example of endurance by faith. How we live this Christian life by faith. And and the argument for this call to live and have endurance in our Christian walk because we deal with difficult things, it began in chapter 10. In fact, chapter 10, verse 35 says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Then all of chapter 11 is an example of what that looks like in the life of those that preceded us. What did that look like in the life of Abraham? What did that look like in the life of Moses? What did that look like in the life of the prophets? This endurance through hardships. And all of chapter 11 is that. It's an example for our faith. And and chapter 11 concludes really in chapter 12. So think of of this as the whole entire point of chapter 11 is to give us an example that we are to follow when we're told that we need endurance. And that concludes in chapter 12 where we read these verses in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... In other words, all those people that we've looked at in chapter 11, that's our cloud of witnesses. Those are the ones that we're we're supposed to take their example. Listen to what he says. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is faith? What is faith? Well, chapter 11, verse 1, begins to explore this by giving us a brief definition. It says this is in verses 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, 
the people of old receive their commendation. So what is faith? Well, the first thing that we need to do this morning is to just simply look at how the Scripture uses the word faith in various parts of the Scripture. And and we'll see a, a couple of different ways in which it's used. Theologians call one type of faith historical faith. That's a knowledge of the Word of God. It's a, it's a knowledge of God. In fact, it's even a confession to say, yeah, God exists. You see that in James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. Well, there's that type of faith, that you believe something about the Word of God. You believe something about God, but that's not a, that's not a saving faith. That's just simply to say, yeah, I believe the, the Bible is true and there is a God. If, if, you, if that is how you confess and that is the extent of your confession, that's not a saving faith. That's just an acknowledgement that the, the Word of God is true and God is real, which is revealed to us in nature, in which no man can escape that reality. In some sense, even the the most militant of atheists would have to confess there is a God. That's historical faith. That's not a saving faith. There's there's then what we we commonly think of as justifying faith. Justifying faith is faith given by, by God's grace through regeneration, that is being born again, which enables the person to believe or have faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that faith, by imputation, they receive the righteousness of Christ and are thus justified. So that's a justifying faith. And Paul speaks of this in various places, but in one particular place, it's very clear. In Galatians 2.15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. So there's a faith of justifying faith. There's the justification by faith alone. This is what what Luther, this is what Calvin, this is what what all of the the, the Protestant reformers would have said and we would confess too, that that is the, the hinge upon which the church stands or falls, justification through and by faith alone. You see, Another use of the word faith, the faith. In Jude chapter 3, it's speaking of a set of doctrines that we are to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so that word faith is used very differently. It's speaking of what we believe. So if we say we confess the faith, that's speaking of what we say we believe about God and about redemption in Christ. Then we come to Hebrews. And you see these these two words, now, faith. This is actually speaking of a fourth type of faith. It's speaking in terms of obedience to Christ. It's speaking of laying hold of of the promises. This passage is not speaking of a justifying faith. He's speaking rather of the justified that live by faith. 
I think we have to make that distinction clear. He's speaking of the justified, those that have had justification before God. God has declared they're no longer guilty because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And now because of the fact that they are righteous by faith, they live by faith. Those are two massively different things. And as we approach this chapter, it's crucial we see how justifying faith becomes effectual in the life of the believer and becomes this now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You see, it's speaking of the operation of faith in the justified. So if you are in Christ and have been justified by faith, that one-time event of justification then turns into a life lived by faith. That's the difference. And there's a danger in getting this wrong. Let me, let me make this very clear. I want to I really make this so clear for us, so I hope it's clear. People oftentimes confuse the fruit of faith or faithful living which we sometimes call sanctification, with justifying faith. How should we understand justifying faith? Just to probe this a little bit further. Faith is the empty hand that has nothing to give by which the righteousness of Christ is apprehended. If you actually took your hymns of grace right now and you turned to page or hymn number 209, Rock of Ages, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. The author of Rock of Ages, Augustus Toplady, he was simply just describing what justifying faith is, is there's nothing I bring, it's an empty hand. But what happens as a result of that justification? It becomes a living faith. If we say that it's living faith that saves us, and there's a lot of very popular people that say it's a living faith that saves us, in essence, this denies the single moment by which we are saved by Christ. Living faith is the result of a justifying faith. Now, how does this faith work? This is what verse 1 answers for us. It is the assurance of things hoped for. And the basic meaning of this is the assurance of things hoped for is is faith is a conviction of things that are not yet. Things that have not yet happened necessarily, but are still true and are a reality. In other words, this is looking into the future. It is a forward-looking type of faith that allows me to live right now. That's what the words hoped for mean. Something you hope for is speaking of something in the distance that we think of. It's not yet. It's, it's off in the distance, but that's actually not what this means here. We do hope for things in the, in, in the distance, but the idea of faith and how faith works in the Christian life is not merely things that are in the, in the future and, not are, and, and that are not ours, but rather the things in the future are actually ours right now by faith. In fact, 
you see this so clearly in the way this word is, is sometimes translated, the word assurance. And I think we need to note this. And in the NIV, it's just assurance. In the ESV, it's assurance. In the Genevan Bible, it's confidence. In the King James, it's cra- uh, cra- uh, ground. In the, the, or excuse me, it's substance. And in the Holman Standard Bible, it's reality. That's a, that's, a, that's a lot of different ways to translate this one word. So, which is it? I think that the way the King James translates it and the Holman Bible translates it is the best way to understand it. Is faith is the substance or reality. It's the reality of things hoped for. When we think of faith, sometimes it thinks, it, we think of it as an abstract idea. But this word, assurance, which is translated reality in other places, won't allow us to think of it something being abstract. In other words, what this is saying is that which is hoped for takes a true being in the present, in the heart of the believer. Let me just give you an example. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when it's speaking of Christ, we read this, this passage where it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. That word nature is to say that Christ is truly God. That word nature is speaking of the realness of Christ's deity. It's where we get this big word, hypostasis, or hypostatic union, speaking of the two natures of Christ. Now, follow me with this. What it says here is faith is the hypostasis of things hoped for. When it's speaking of Christ, it's speaking of the true deity of Christ, So when it speaks of faith, it's speaking of the true reality of those things that are hoped for as being present right now in the life of the believer. So faith brings that which is future into the present. It brings that which is far off into being by faith. William Perkins, he said this, Faith gives being to things which are not, and makes things present which are absent. That is a profound and deep statement. And what God gives us about faith here is beyond my own comprehension. And so I want us to just consider how marvelous this is. And I want us to see the excellency of this grace of God and how it operates in the life of the believer and see how it works. So if, if you're still not grasping what I said, hang on, because I'm going to give it to us by example in Scripture. Because this becomes the grid of through how we understand the rest of the chapter, and this is the grid through which we understand how we live our Christian lives. And if you're in Christ, you're already living it this way. You might just not have expressed it like this. Faith, in many ways, is what removes us from this world while we remain in it. 
The entirety of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 is based on this. I'm leaving them in the world, though they're not of the world. So how do, we, how do we live in the world while not being of the world? By faith. By faith. So in other words, what I see and experience every day of my life has to be lived in light of an unseen reality in which I put my hope. Faith makes that hope present with me. Now this first clause, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is, the first is hope speaks of things in the future. But the conviction of things not seen is speaking of things that are, that are right now. And that's how it's used when Paul speaks of hope in, in Romans chapter 8. When he says this, For in this hope we are saved. Now hope is that, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So notice how Paul puts together hope of the unseen. There is something that is right now. And he uses this word conviction, which is speaking of evidence. Speaking of the mind being convinced of something. The mind is convinced of things unseen. That's what faith is. The faith, faith is a conviction in your heart. There's evidence in your heart that that which we read of the Scripture, which we cannot see, we believe to be true. So put these two things together, assurance and conviction. Assurance gives being, and conviction refers to evidence in a convinced mind. And so we should see these two things working together to give us Different angles of the same glorious truth. F.F. Bruce says this, Physical sight produces conviction or evidence of visible things. Faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible order. Faith is how we see that which is not seeable. That which is beyond our eyesight, physical, as Bruce said, Faith becomes an organ which we receive things that are invisible. Think of the song, It is well. And Lord, haste the day when faith become what? Sight. That's grasping all that is being said here. So how does this work in the, the life of the, of the Christian life? I want you to first see this, how it applies to us as, as believers, as individuals. Can you see being born again? Can you see a supernatural work of God in which He causes you to be born again? Do you see that? Do you see that you're free from the bondage of sin? Notice the dichotomy of the Christian life. Paul tells us this, you're free from sin. You're no longer under bondage in sin. But what do we all still struggle with? The eye of faith tells me I'm actually no longer under the control of sin. Can you see your justification? Can you see that God has declared you righteous? 
by the righteousness of Christ? Is that something you see? Can you see your sanctification? You may be able to look back on your life and say, I have grown and I see how I have grown, but can you actually see the process that's taking place in your heart that the Holy Spirit is working continually in you? Can you see that? No. But by faith you know it happens. Do you, do you see that when you're absent from the body, you'll be present with Christ? That's something hoped for, right? That's something distant. You don't see that. But don't you rest at night knowing comforting this is if I don't wake up, I will awake in the arms of my Savior. You don't see that right now. This text is telling us that that is a true reality in the life of the believer by faith. Can you see that the resurrection of the body and the glorious reunification of the soul and the body when Christ returns, can you see that? You can't see that. But you live your life in light of it as a fact. Can you see life everlasting? You can't see life everlasting. You don't even know what heaven looks like. But you believe that if you're in Christ, you're going to go there. You believe that it is real. You believe that it is tangible. You see, faith is that assurance that those things that we cannot see are true in the life of the believer. This is by God's grace that he gives us the eyes of faith to see this. This is how we live through a difficult world, is through those eyes of faith. This is how we as individuals wake up in the morning and we see difficult things and we say, I'm going to still live because I live in light of the fact that I am justified before God. And because we have those eyes of faith that is by God's grace and by God's grace alone, we're actually able to live through life. That's why we can say with Abraham, we're looking forward to a city that we actually cannot see. And I'm going to live in light of that city. What about in the life of the church? How does this faith work in the life of the church? Let me, let me just give you a few examples. The first is your baptism. That's your entrance in the church. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, you, you just go underwater, which symbolizes the death, and you come up out of the water, which recognizes the newness of life in Christ. And we can visibly see that symbolism of it, but you actually can't experience, you don't actually see that you truly die with Christ in salvation, and that you are raised to a newness of life and salvation with Christ. That's something I can't see. But what does the scripture say it is? The Scripture says it is a reality in the life of the believer. The Scripture says that you are truly in Christ, dead to self, and raised to a newness of life. That's a reality. That is something we can't see that is brought into being. How? By faith. What about the Lord's table? 
Something for us to consider is that the Lord's table is even before us this morning. Notice what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.16. This is often ignored in discussions of the Lord's table. He says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And, and that word participation means fellowship. Notice what he says. He says we have fellowship with the blood of Christ. We have fellowship with Christ when we do the Lord's table. In other words, it's speaking of the, the spiritual presence of Christ with us when we do this. Now, we, we hold and we confess that, that the Lord's table is a memorial, it's, a, it's, a, it's symbolic, but we also have to confess that Christ is spiritually present with us. In fact, that's what our Baptist forefathers confessed in the Second London Confession of Faith. I want you to notice how they write this. Worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance do then also inwardly by faith Really and indeed, not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death, the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally, meaning Christ physically isn't in it, but spiritually is. Did you know that that's what Baptists have believed for 400, over 400 years? We rarely hear that today, do we? How is Christ present with us spiritually? Because he said, I'll be with you in this by faith. That which we cannot see is brought to reality. You can't see Christ when we do this. Christ doesn't come and physically take a seat with us here at the chair and, 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 and partake in the Lord's Supper. But when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we have a participation with Christ. And it is by faith. It is with things that we can't see become a reality with the eyes of faith. What about in the life of the church in terms of evangelism? We think of the great commission that we've been given by Christ. How, how do the eyes of faith affect that? Well, notice what the great commission is in Matthew chapter uh, 28 and verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, Christ goes and tells us to go and preach to all the nations and he says, I'll be with you. But do you physically see Christ with you? Have you ever been sharing Christ and then Christ just manifested Himself there physically in your presence? The answer is no. But what does Christ promise? Christ promises to be with you. You notice what it says here. Jesus says in, the, in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see all authority in heaven given over to the Lord Jesus Christ visibly? No, but when His presence is with you, notice what He says. I will be with you. And this is what I have. You don't visibly see that. But you see it by the eyes of faith, which enables us, which encourages us, which comforts us to go out and proclaim the name of Christ. Think about this in church discipline. Christ says in Matthew chapter 18, 
He tells the church to go and confess to one another. He goes and confront one another. If one's in sin, go to your brother and tell him he's in sin. If he refuses to listen to you, take two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to you, then who, is, who are you supposed to take it to? The church. You're supposed to take it to the church. Listen, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what does this have to do with the eyes of faith? Well, if we go on, what Jesus goes on to say is, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. That is a reference to Christ being present in matters of discipline in the church. Have you ever been through a matter of discipline in church? Have you ever had to confront a brother in sin and then take two or three witnesses? Have you ever been through that process? I have. I've never seen Christ visibly. But Jesus tells me right here that he's with us to keep his church pure. And by the way, as we saw on Wednesday night, this was the exact same way that Israel did issues of discipline as well. When it became too great for the regular judges, they would bring the Levitical priest and God promised them, I'll be with you in this matter of judgment. I can't see that with my eyes. That's not something I tangibly see. Is that Christ pops up and says, you guys are making the right judgment. But I'm told that by following his word. And where the church is unanimous in these things, and there's unity in these things that Christ is there confirming it, that Christ is present there with me. So think about that. Just in the life of the believer, all of the wonderful aspects of your salvation, you can't visibly see, but you know they're real. In all the major aspects of what the church is supposed to do, baptism, the Lord's Supper, evangelism, and discipline, and certainly there's more things that we could look at. What does Christ say? I'm there with you. You can't see any of that. But yet we practice it on the belief that Christ is true. And that's not something you visibly see. But yet we believe it to be true as a reality in the life of the believer that Christ is truly and in reality with us. But you can't see it. But it is true. And it is a reality. It's something that is real by faith. Think of it in another way. Think about our life of trial. So we, we've looked at the life of the believer, the life in the church. Now, how about the life of our? How about a life of trials? We face suffering in this life. We face we face trials in this life. We face setbacks in this life. We face disappointments in this in this life. How how does this apply? This this conviction of things hoped for, assurance of things hoped for, this conviction of things unseen. How does this apply to my life of trials? We'll just start with this most basic thing that we are told is by faith, I actually have been raised up to heaven with Christ. Scripture tells me that if you are in Christ, 
that you are actually right now raised up in heaven with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says this, By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul's not talking about something in the future. He actually uses a tense that speaks of something that has already already happened. He says already, if you are in Christ, you have been raised and sat at the right hand. I cannot see Christ visibly reigning, can I? It already says that in in chapter 1 of Ephesians that Christ has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. He's far above all things. And then the next chapter tells me this, I've been raised up with him. I can't see Christ sitting on his throne. Stephen had a glimpse of it. But I can't see that, nor can you see that. But Scripture tells us it's true, and then Scripture tells us that we're there with Christ in the midst of that. How is that true? How is that a reality? By faith. We can't see Christ absolutely, sovereignly ruling over all things visibly. I can't see myself through this life sitting in heaven, yet by the eyes of faith, I see that there's a greater reality of where my true home is. Well, think about it in this way, as we face trials in this life. We have this wonderful, wonderful promise in Romans chapter 8. We read this, For I I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. He goes on to say this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. We've heard that so many times that it just becomes a cliche when when really it shouldn't. I can't actually see all things working for good. Oftentimes through setbacks and trials and, and difficult times, I don't see good coming of it. In fact, often what we see in this life is the opposite of good, right? But the eyes of faith allows me to see things for how they really and truly are. It's how we deal with pain. It's how we cope with the difficulty. Knowing the invisible hand of God is governing all that happens to such an extent that there's nothing outside of God's sovereign hand. This is why the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. All I can experience is what's happening around me. But the eyes of faith tell me this, there's a sovereign God over it all. There's a sovereign God that's working all things for good. And I I can live with the fact that these current sufferings, they're not worth comparing. It means there's no value in comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Has that glory been revealed to you? Be careful how you answer it. The eyes of faith, yes, says, yes, this glory has been revealed to my heart and I live in light of it. That's the eyes of faith. 
that tells me that the struggles that I have now are not even any value compared to what lies ahead. That there are greater things in which we'll hope. And this, this is how Abraham was able to look forward to the city that he could not see. What is this hope? What is this conviction? What is this evidence? What is it, what does it produce in us? Well, Paul later says that, that hope produces rejoicing in our hearts. I want you to notice just a couple of connections here on this. Of joy to su- and, and the idea of joy and suffering as, as something present in the life of the believer. In John chapter 17, verses 13 and 14, Jesus praying says, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The overall context is this. Jesus is saying, My followers are going to suffer. They're in the world. They're going to deal with hardships. The world will hate them. But I'm going to give them joy. How is it that I could have joy in this life through hardships with people hating me? Eyes of faith that see a greater reality. Jesus says in the light of tribulation in chapter 16, verse 33 of John, He says this, I have said these things to you that in me... You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You don't actually see Christ overcoming the world. Actually, you don't see peace. What you see is animosity and it growing every day. But what does Christ say the reality is by faith for the believer? What he says, you have joy. You have peace. That's why the Christian is such a perplexing reality to the, to the world, is because now this faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It sets you apart. And these are the realities to the Christian that the world cannot see, cannot experience, nor understand. And here's the other thing. They do not have the eyes of faith to put it together. It is by and through the eyes of faith. And the remainder of Hebrews is a demonstration of this very thing. So what is it that you see with your eyes right now? I just was thinking on things and unstable financial situation. Just in our country, debt is out of control. It just hit a high mark again. People talk of a threat of another war. We see the church in the U.S. on the decline. You, you can see churches that make a mockery of God. We see crime rising and true justice vanishing. Those are the things that we live with day to day. We see an increase of immorality. And these are things that, if we're quite honest with ourselves, they leave us in despair. 
They make us angry. They consume our conversations, and we, we talk about how mad we are about something. But does the Scripture tell us that we're a people of despair? Does the Scripture say that we're a conquered people? Does the Scripture say that we're defeated? Well, think about that. It would be easy for a Christian to think, we're defeated, we're conquered because our numbers are, are declining. Well, that's, that's here in the States, they are, or you might actually just think the church is being refined. Are we defeated? Are we conquered? Or are we more than conquerors? Think about what Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of Lord and King of kings, and those who are with Him are cho- called chosen and faithful. What is it that we see with our eyes of faith? Do we see the King of kings and the Lord of Lord that is over all, that is absolutely ruling all things, and that nothing befalls us that isn't for our good because we're called according to His purposes? What is it that we see in light of the world that is, seems very desperate? You see, we live our life, we are called to live our life in light of what is truly unseen. And here's what we can see in Scripture. And it's this, is God is unchanging in His purposes. God is unchanging in His promises. And those promises given to us in Scripture are unchanging as well, which means that they are guaranteed. So what is the promise? What can we, we can see only with our eyes of faith? What's the answer to the question when Paul asks, what can separate me from the love of God? If you're in Christ this morning and you followed Christ, you are trusting in Christ with that empty hand of faith... What is it that could separate you from the love of God? What is it that could separate you from Christ? Is that not a promise that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Which rests upon the very character and unchanging nature of God, which makes it true? This is ours by faith. All that we have seen that we cannot see is ours by faith. Can we see why we are to have joy? Can we see why Paul said, even in the midst and threat of death, he could say, again, I say I rejoice? Look at all the great riches and treasures we have in Christ. It says, actually in Scripture, we have all the riches and treasures of Christ at our bestowal. That's far greater than the vanishing things of this world. That is far greater than the disappointments that we have. We actually, by faith right now, get to see the glory by eyes of faith in our heart. And that's how we can live through this day. And this is how we keep going forward and how we endure in this Christian life. We endure by faith. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth and promises given to us in your word. That the unseen is ours by faith. The things that we hope for are ours by faith. That they are true, they are a reality even now in the life of the Christian. 
these treasures that are given to us in Christ are, are far beyond our own comprehension. And so we pray that by your grace, our faith would increase and grow. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.